Good morning, good morning in the building, good morning online, uh, good morning in the crèche room, if you're listening and watching in the crèche room just down to my left, just down here, wherever you are, good morning and welcome. So uh, every now and again I like to do this, uh, if you want to put your hand on your heart or open it on your lap, it's just a physical sign, you don't have to do it, it's not magic. I've got my eyes closed so only you can see what's your prayer today, what is your greatest need? It's a weakness of our tradition, our tribe as charismatic evangelicals that we always think God is just in the business of only helping us personally, but he is our good father and he loves to hear our prayers. So what is your prayer today? I have my eyes closed. You just say to God whether you're close to God, you're distant from God, you're not even sure there is a God. What is your prayer? What is your greatest need? And in the name of Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, Prince of peace, I ask you humbly, God, would you come, would you meet with people? And whatever I might say uh, in the next few minutes, I'm, I'm praying, God, I'm calling out to you, Jesus, please. Holy Spirit, God with us now, would you answer these prayers? It's your promise, you hear our prayer. And you always answer prayers for the best for us may actually not be what we ask, but you will answer for the best. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Well, feel free to switch off, but um, also you might feel free to open Luke 14. And we're going to dive quite deep into Luke 14. So um, it's one of those moments where you would be really encouraged to have a Bible open in front of you, switched on. There are spare Bibles, hard copies on the two little tables just at the back. So you don't even need to come to the front and grab one. They're there if you want to grab one. There are some, though, at the front um, if you haven't got a hard copy of the Bible with you. Um, always encourage, actually, hard copies of the Bible. I mean, I've got it on my phone. It's brilliant. But when you look at a hard copy of the Bible, you will do a critical thing. You will look and see what comes before and you will look and see what comes after. And the Holy Spirit, God with you, will encourage you to look in other places other than just the ones that the preacher is focusing on. There is a reason that we have God's word in our hands. And, and, and electronic stuff is so, so good, especially it means you can look in different translations. One of the simplest little tools for getting to grips with God's, God's word, if you're not sure how to read God's word, just read it in a couple of different translations. And if you've got a translation that's a literal kind of word for word kind of translation and you compare it to something like, you know, NIV that is, if you compare it to something like the message version, which is uh, an idea for an idea kind of translation uh, of the sense of the, you know, it really helps bring it alive. So grab a Bible that's a physical copies front and back and I'm sure you can switch on. So we're looking at Luke 14 and we're going to track through 24 verses together. So buckle in, get ready. We're going to do some work together today. But let me tell you, the best ever job I've ever had, the best ever job I've ever had, 
You're all hoping I'm going to say lead pastor at Trinity Cheltenham. It's not. I've told a few of you. It's when I worked at Wimbledon as a student. I was a court coverer for a couple of, you know, when I was so slim and athletic, I was a court coverer for a couple of years. But then I was a security guard at Wimbledon when I was a student. The whole of Wimbledon in those days ran on student power. Um, uh, We were paid very little, but we could grab towels and food from our friends who, lots of things that I've repented of. Um... (laughs) So I was a court coverer for a couple of years. That was great fun. I can tell you some terrible stories about that fun. You know, never put students in charge of any, any stu- welcome students. You're so lovely. Um, <laughs> but then I worked out that you got paid a lot more by being a security guard, and especially if you're a night security guard. And I worked out that if you were a night security guard, you basically sat and they paid you and you were fed and you, you know, it was not great security in those days. It was not the safest place. Um, And as a night security guard at Wimbledon, at the tennis, you could go anywhere. You could go anywhere you wanted. We used to go to the players' dressing rooms and have a little wander around. We would go and find some more food in the BBC canteen. I do apologise, that's where your licence fee went. (laughs) Steak and chips. Never put a student in charge of anything. Um, And my friend Andy and I... We, we were on the front gate. They put us on the front gate of Wimbledon. I think slightly because we were the only people in the cohort of security guards who kind of sounded like what we knew what we were talking about. Welcome to my world, sounding like what you know what you're talking about. But the best was going to the Royal Box. Andy and I would take a couple of drinks, non-alcoholic, <laughs> never put students in charge of anything. And we would sit in the front row of the royal box, sit in the queen's seat, and look out. Just imagine. <laughs> My friend Woody, sadly I doubt he'll be watching, um, put chewing gum under the seat. Yeah, he wanted to, to see if the next day he'd watch the queen sort of kind of go... Imagine if someone had seen us. What would they say? They'd say, that's not your place, is it? Get out. You're fired. I want to talk today about God's seating plan. I, I, I quite often like saying that God arranges the seating plan when we come to gatherings like this. He knew where you were going to be. I, I know where some of you were going to be because you always sit in the same seats, but don't worry. Um, what's God's seating plan at the, the banquet that he lays out for us? That's, that's my, my question. And do you have a sense that, you know, you're invited into the higher places, but if you were caught, you'd soon be sent scurrying with your P45 or whatever it was in those days? Or do you have a sense that God would say to you, you are so welcome, and I'd love you just to move up a little bit, a little bit higher? You know, how do we make sense of stuff at the moment? covid Uh, Ukraine, what's going on? We're in this fasting and feasting series during Lent. Lent is a time when we examine, when we're encouraged to think what's going on in our lives. And we've said before that actually fasting and feasting are two sides of the same coin in the Bible's understanding. Because in the culture of Jesus, the culture of that day, how you arranged your seating plan, who you sat with, who you feasted with, who you had a banquet with, said so much about what you believed and who you thought 
who you thought you were. And you see, the thing is, you might not see the link immediately, but, but actually, if you think about it, it's right now, isn't it? Who we make space for at our tables is really a key question, isn't it? Because making space at your table involves a bit of cost. You might not think that feasting involves any cost, but it can. Of course, it doesn't involve much cost if you only ever invite people to your table who are just like you and you like but if you make space at your table for some messy people, people just like me, then it might have a bit of cost to it. And there's an intimacy in eating, isn't there? In the same way that with fasting, there's an intimacy because it is only between you and God. We don't tell other people when we're fasting, but when we're fasting, we're making space in the table of our hearts for God. We're, we're deliberately creating a physical hunger to express a spiritual hunger in us. And of course, we can misinterpret and think that fasting is a kind of tool to exercise upon God. In the same way with prayer, we can fool ourselves into thinking that who changes in prayer or who changes in fasting is primarily God. We can think, pull the lever, you know, more fasting, pull the lever, more fasting, pull. And of course, it's us that changes. And in, in table fellowship of Jesus' day, when you, when you were only eating with people like yourself, you were only giving honoured positions to the right people in the right place at the right time, you were expressing something about your heart and your belief in exactly the same way we do now. You know, to invite someone into your home and sit with them at the table is a really intimate and costly thing to do potentially so we're in this series fasting and feasting and we've got a, a three course meal to enjoy Jonathan is going to click through on some of the some of the slides for us but not everyone's going to appear we're doing Matthew uh, sorry Luke 14 1 to 24 so some of it will come on the screen uh, some of it will just be I'll, I'll just sort of direct us as we go through here's a three course meal that Jesus experienced and Luke has captured for us. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold... Of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Just a little aside, are we surprised that Jesus is in the house of a Pharisee? We kind of know, don't we, as we read our scripture, that there's a growing um, antagonism, a growing battle between Jesus and the Pharisees. Eventually, it will lead in part to Jesus' crucifixion. I hope we know that Jesus was not crucified by a people group, the Jews. I hope we know that Jesus was not even crucified by just one tribe within a people group, the Pharisees. The Sadducees had just as much to do with it. They were the priests. They were the wealthy in the temple. Actually, Jesus was crucified as a result of evil. He was crucified as the result of a puppet king, Herod, and a Roman emperor, emperor Roman consul, who was trying to exercise power. 
See, the Pharisees actually were just like you and me. The Pharisees were people who were very serious about what it means to follow God, what it means to make space in your life and space at your table for God. The problem was, just like, well, at least me, they had put religious practice, they had, they had taken the tradition that they had inherited, the things they passed down, the, the words that they had shared, they turned those things into a, a set of regulations and laws that they held alongside their written scripture, their Torah. They were listening more to social media than they were listening to God's word. They were more bothered about the opinion of their friends and their family and how something might look than God's word. They had taken living word and replaced it with dead religion. Jesus has, has a real heart for the Pharisees. Just like he has a real heart for anyone like us. I'll read on a bit. Having done this healing, Jesus asked them, verse 5, If one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. You, you have so twisted God's way, Jesus is saying to them, that you will rescue on the Sabbath a, 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 an animal. You will set aside these rules and regulations that you've come up with to save life. But you will not save life in the healing of a person. Some in the room will know that Jesus did not break the Sabbath law because there was no Sabbath regulation against healing. The Sabbath regulations were against work. So if you needed to do work in order to effect a healing, you were breaking the oral tradition that they set against the Torah. But Jesus doesn't do any work, does he? Jesus just heals. Now we get to an interesting point. Who's watching whom? They were watching him carefully, but do you notice verse 7? When Jesus noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. As so often in Scripture, Jesus tells a parable to make a really key point, and the question is, who has got ears to hear? When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honour, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honoured in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus turns to the host of this party. When you give, he says, when you... When you are doing the normal things that you do, don't you know already 
the, the truth. And he's pointing them, he's pointing them already to an, a heavenly perspective that is being revealed by what they're doing in their earthly practice. They're applying an earthly seating plan when actually the seating plan we're bothered about is God's seating plan. Verse 13, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Sadducees did not believe in physical resurrection. The Pharisees did believe in the resurrection. Jesus is pointing them to a a heavenly perspective immediately. What is going on in earth is revealing things in their hearts. Now, one of them, if you have a look at at verse 15, appears to want to try and avoid an embarrassment. This is an awkward moment. This is really awkward. Who's watching whom? Hang on a second. We, Jesus, thought we were watching you. We've brought this guy in with dropsy, with uh, this thing this uh, thing which um, causes you to swell up in your tummy. It's on the Sabbath. We probably set him up. You know, what will Jesus do? He's the great miracle worker. Maybe some of them were interested to see whether he would do a healing in front of their eyes. We've got other occasions of that in Scripture. But I think probably they're setting him up. They're watching Jesus, but hang on a second now, Jesus is watching them. He's observing carefully how their earthly kind of way of thinking and practice and values is expressing spiritual truth. So one of them, I think verse 15, you know, trying to break the moment. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. It's the equivalent in the life groups moment. You know when you've got that difficult discussion in your life group and someone goes, ah, oh, yeah, it's a, real, oh, it's a real mystery, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that moment in, in your life group. Jesus replied with another parable. Here's the, the third course of our, of our meal. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet, invited many guests. At the time of his banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who'd been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. And I'll just read on through and you can hear them. Uh, The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. (laughs) I've bought a field that I've not looked at. Please excuse me. Uh, Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. And bizarrely, I've uh, not checked that they work. So I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I've just got married. So I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house uh, became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. 
three-course meal collected together by Luke for us. The hors d'oeuvre, the healing of a man with dropsy. In the cultural thinking of the day, an outward illness reflected an inner sin. And the illness of dropsy being, being bloated was thought to reveal the sin of greed. It's a really interesting little detail, isn't it? Jesus heals a man. Because there's a problem, isn't there, with how these good and, I think, in many ways, desiring, right-desiring people, the Pharisees, it was not easy. It was not easy being a Pharisee. You see, their, their Sabbath concern was actually reflecting their history as God's people when we read, don't we, how God's people ignored the Sabbath regulations. And, and in ignoring the Sabbath regulations back in their history, actually that had been signpost to God's people turning away from God's will. Their, their heart for, why do, why do you not fast when Jesus says when you fast? Why, why do you not pray when Jesus says when you pray? Why do you not give your finance, you know, share your resources with the poor when the scripture says it? Why, why, why are you not doing these things, these kind of things that can be quite obvious outward signposts of an inner change, an inner deviation from God's will and God's heart? They, they were people within God's people who had a right concern for, for Sabbath because if we don't rest, if we don't take a Sabbath, then we're basically not believing that God is God. We're not believing that he's got enough resources for us. We actually kind of believe that we need to buy a field or get five yoke of oxen because they're actually more important for us. We can't afford to rest. That's, that's the problem with not having a Sabbath. The problem with overworking is it's about, you know, kind of I can't afford to or I get, I get stroked through my work and my finance or, the, or my house. They're, they're signposts, aren't they, to us? Us. In Lent, when we're called to examine, we're called to say, what does my life look like? Who's watching? They, they thought they were watching Jesus, but actually Jesus is watching them and he's saying, you say these things, you say you believe this living message of God's grace and truth, but actually you've turned it into dead religion. So don't be too quick, Andrew, don't be too quick, us, to judge these Pharisees. But there was something really significantly wrong, wasn't there, when they had made their religious practice, their way of following Jesus, such that they would save a cow that had fallen down a well, but they wouldn't heal a person. God's framework of transformative relationship has been turned literally into Ted religion. 
Their main course is, of course, humble pie. They get an hors d'oeuvre of a healing. Their main course is the, a plateful of, of humble pie. There's a, a picture that might sort of illustrate it. Um, Jesus has been watching them and their banquet etiquette. And so he reminds them at weddings where it was the most constructed, the most structured. And the question about who, you know, when you take a place at the table, um, you know, you may judge yourself wrongly. You may occupy the queen's seat in her, in her royal box. You know, but at a banquet you might go to and you'll think, well, I'll take this position. How embarrassing, the worst possible social humiliation to be told, I'm really sorry, um, Mike, could you go and sit at the back, please? Sorry, that's not your seat. But when I sat at the back, you <laughs> you, yes. <laughs> because you got it right, yeah. I was, I, was, I was really trying to think, what's the equivalent for us? So for them in their culture, this was the, the worst of humiliation, but also the best of kind of elevation, you know, the one to the other. What, what would make us look best in the world? The, uh, the Boris Johnson parody account got switched off by Twitter because it said that he'd resigned on April Fool's Day. So I noticed on Twitter he's trying to recover his number of, um, number of followers. I don't know. What? What's our equivalent of this? Because here's the thing, here's what's going on. The fundamental question is who is making the assessment? Whose judgment are you looking for, am I looking for, am I listening to? They were, they were making judgments about where to sit at banquets on their own self-assessment. Anyone else love 180 degree or 360 degree assessments? <laughs> Do you see that's the point? They weren't truly, for all of their outward show, they weren't truly seeking God's assessment and God's value and judgment. And boy, if there's nothing else that we need to think about during Lent, isn't it that? I hope you know that uh, desserts are American and sweet, whereas puddings are British and can be savoury or sweet. Because there is a, a third course, isn't there? There's a third element, a third bit to this story. It's the parable that Jesus then tells of the great banquet. I mean, there is, and if you don't feel it, and I hope I've done some judge, justice to it deliberately, to myself and to us, there is real sharpness in this. Jesus is pointing to a heavenly perspective. Jesus is saying, what will happen when you stand before God? What will happen? His judgment of you, Andrew, will not be this, 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 or this, or any worldly sense of value. He's not going to usher you up to the, the front in heaven and say, here's the lead pastor's little place. It's got sofas and it's got coffee. And he's not going to do that. I mean, you know, I'll, I'm going to be lucky if I'm going to be in anywhere. That's the truth. 
And I absolutely know it will be, it will be the names of people in Ukraine that I've never heard of. It will be people from, from the majority uh, world part of, of the Christian faith. People I've never heard of, people's names I've never seen. Those are the people who are going to be ushered up to, if there's any sense of ushering in heaven, they'll be the ones closest. Not me, not me, I know that. That could be a fake humility, I apologise if it is. It's the truth. So there is sharpness in this. There's a Lenten sharpness. You know, is anyone here, you know, putting your, putting your trust in, in a field when you've not really, you don't even know if it's worth it? Is there anyone of us here who's putting their faith in oxen and activity when you don't even know if it's going to work? Is there anyone here putting their faith in a relationship, an earthly relationship, as strong and as much as God values earthly relationships of marriage? But are there any of us putting that before our relationship with God? Because there is a sharpness in this. There is a sharpness in this, and I would not be doing any of us any service if I didn't prod us at least to be a bit uncomfortable. Are, are there any of us here who hear this cry about who's at our table? Who is invited into our banquets? If Jesus walked in physically, he's here spiritually, but if he walked in physically now and stood at the front and talked to us about our practice my practice, our practice, what would he say? There, we've got to hear the sharpness in this. But there is the sweetness of grace, isn't there? Because a man with dropsy, who may well have been greedy, who isn't, is healed. Is healed. And there's a banquet, isn't there, where there's a passionate fire. Did you notice from in, the, in the, the words, make them come in. Make them come in. The invitation is open to us all. So here's my three questions. They watched him closely, but actually Jesus was watching them. God is watching. What does he see in us? Who's doing the seating plan? Come, for all things are ready, says the host. There is abundant grace in this meal. There is abundant grace for us. All are invited. It's undeserved grace, isn't it? for those of us who are spiritually lame, spiritually blind, spiritually poor, spiritually wretched. I, I came across a quote from Mario Cuomo who said that politicians campaign in poetry but govern in prose. And I think it might be true to say Christians preach in poetry but they can live in the prose of rules and regulations. There's a challenge fundamentally about humility, isn't there? Not humility to break us down in a wrong kind of way. But the model of Jesus, Tim's already used the words, 
who humbled himself, made himself nothing. That's what Easter, that's what communion, his body broken, his blood shed. There is this amazing, amazing banquet. Amazing banquet. God does the seating plan. Thank God. He's inviting us. Please don't let relationships, please don't let oxen, please don't let fields, please don't let a wrong, a wrong self-judgment. Please don't let a pride get in the way of you being at that banquet. Please help me and Tim and Hills and others, Nick, not to let those things get in the way of this church family being the radical, radical, poetic picture. Signs on earth of what heaven is going to be like. Be still for just a moment. Holy Spirit, back to where we started. Maybe our prayer has even changed. (laughs) Our greatest needs, our greatest hopes. Lord, we know that people are watching us. We know that we are a living, a living scripture, a living Bible to our friends and to our family. When they look to see what God is about, they look at us. That's uncomfortable, but, but Holy Spirit, you're the one who writes. So Holy Spirit, come and write on hearts right now. Hearts. Holy Spirit, write into lives, please, right now in this building, online. Holy Spirit, would you, I don't know if it's the right language, but would you release humility in us? Certainly, would you release us from wrong kind of thinking about work and activity and possessions and relationships? Certainly, Holy Spirit, would you open us to only be concerned for God's view, God's look? God's assessment, your assessment, God. Thank you for your radical grace that can heal a greedy person in a moment without a word. Holy Spirit, come, heal in this place. Thank you, God, that you want us at your table. But you want so many others to know this. Lord, help us to carry your invitation in the way that we live our lives. More, more even than what we say. Let us be invitation carriers. Let us be banquet holders. in our daily lives. We're sorry, God, sorry that 
You could look at our lives just as you maybe looked at those Pharisees. How easily we distort and twist a message of love into rules, regulations. How easily we turn poetry into prose. Poetic God of love, come. Write poetry in our hearts. Inspire us, Holy Spirit, with a a new vision. Awaken us. Awaken us, Holy Spirit. To all that we need to see.